If a tree never grew out of being a sapling, or a person stayed a baby their entire life, we would think something was wrong. The church's tradition of prayer teaches that spiritual maturity includes freedom from sin and receiving infused contemplation. But these seem so rare today. Why do we accept spiritual infancy as the norm? This episode of Physically Spiritual will begin to explore the church's tradition of prayer and spirituality. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. get started, I want to remind you all, if you want to get any of the, the episodes, show notes, uh, find any of my writings, or you want some help applying any of the ideas from this show, find my coaching practice and blog at becominggift.com. I'd also encourage you to download the new Awaken app. Find the new Awaken app at theawakenapp.io on the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The Awaken app includes audio and video versions of the podcast, really the best way to experience the podcast, talks, music, prayers, and a great community to join with. So find the Awaken app at theawakenapp.io. If you want to support anything we're doing here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is the patron community that supports the work at Awaken Catholic for less than the cup for the less than the cost of a cup of coffee a week. You can become a member of the Awakened Nation and get access to premium content and uh, connection to the show hosts. And finally, we are partners with Hollow. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. Hollow includes a, a step-by-step introduction to prayer, guided meditations, sleep stories, and much more. To sign up for Hollow with our partner link, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken. So we are continuing our second season of Physically Spiritual as we go through the three-legged stool that supports our growth to God. So on the stool, there are three legs. Our last episode, we looked at an introduction to the sacraments or sacramental theology. The next episode, we're going to start talking about asceticism or or practices of life by which we uh, deny ourselves and become more and more the person God calls us to be. In this episode, we're starting to build out the leg of prayer. Or another way to think of it is the church's mystical theology. So mystical theology, as I say that, a lot of things probably come to mind. This word mystical, I think, is overused and misunderstood in our culture. The word mystical might uh, conjure to mind sort of a a Buddhist monk uh, sitting on top of a mountain or, or a yogi striking some kind of a pose in some kind of a trance. But when we use the term mystical as Christians or mystic as Christians, it really means something else. The uh, paragraph 2014 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, spiritual progress tends toward even more intimate union with Christ. This union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments or the holy mysteries. And in him, In the mystery of the Holy Trinity, God calls us all to this intimate union with him, even 
if the special graces or extraordinary signs of this mystical life are granted only to some for the sake of manifesting the gratuitous gift given to all. So what's this paragraph saying? Number one, we're all called to spiritual progress, and the heart of spiritual progress is intimacy with God. It's mystical because God is a mystery, uh, not a mystery because God's completely obscure and at some point we completely exhaust him or discover to the bottom of God. No, God's a mystery because we begin to understand God and we can go infinitely deeper. We never get to the bottom of God. Uh, so this, this journey deeper and deeper and deeper into intimacy with God is the mystical life or what mystical theology is all about. Uh, this word mystery is actually the, the original Greek word for sacrament was mysterion, the word for mystery. Right? These seven sacraments were the mysteries of the faith. Uh, so when we talk about Catholic mysticism, this is what we're talking about, entering the mystery of God. So from this perspective, every Catholic, every Christian is called to be a mystic, to enter the mystery of God. Even though only some might experience like extraordinary kinds of prayer, like an ecstasy or or levitation or something like that. But we're all called to be mystics. So when I say mystical theology, it's the study of how we grow closer to God, how we enter the mystery of God. A little bit from my story, I had a, a conversion in, in junior high to faith from agnosticism, uh, really the faith of my family, of Catholicism. But then I had a deeper conversion at the end of high school uh, where I let God not just be my Savior, but also be my Lord. I started to try to live for the Lord. And I also had a kind of a third conversion. I was a couple years into my time of uh, seminary when I was discerning the priesthood, um, before I discerned out. And I had a summer immersion to Guatemala. And when I went to Guatemala, the only book in English I took with me was a, a book called The Fire Within by Father Thomas Dubé. And in this book, um, it had been recommended to me, but in The Fire Within, uh, Father Thomas Dubé, he, he summarized really the church's mystical tradition through two of the spiritual doctors of the church, St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. And, and this opened my eyes that there was more to faith than just God being my Savior or my Lord. But really, the mystics use spousal language to talk about their relationship with God, as if they were marrying God or being romanced by God in their experience of prayer. So I realized that God didn't just want to be my Savior and my Lord, but God also wanted this kind of spousal relationship with me, this kind of love relationship with me, this intimacy with me. And, and I devoured the book. I think, one, because it was the only thing in English that I had, and, and I had to, to sort of struggle through everything else that was written in Spanish for my classes and for conversation and for reading. Um, but it, it, I, I ended up reading it twice that summer, um, just because I found it as this new food, this new substance that inspired me and really changed the whole trajectory of my life. Uh, so my hope is through this series, going through the church's mystical theology, that either can be a deepening of your own knowledge or also uh, maybe an introduction to this. Before we go any deeper, it's worth just simply asking the question, what is prayer? Uh, what is prayer? The, the catechism quotes St. John Damascene, uh, and it says that prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God, the raising of one's mind or heart to God. When we talk about mind or heart, I want you to, to call to mind the chart that we looked at a couple episodes ago. And if you haven't seen it, I'll put it back in the show notes of the faculties of the soul. 
When we talk about mind, we're really talking about our reason. And we talk about our heart, we're really talking about our will. So these higher faculties of what I know and what I choose. So we're, we're, we're choosing God, we're raising our mind to God. And we do this as a gift uh, of grace. Or it's requesting a good thing of God, right? Making a petition, asking something of the Lord. So this is what prayer is in the most general sense. Um, and, and as I talk about this, uh, I think one of the, the most important lies to cut off from the very beginning is that there's two paths, right? We have, there's sort of holy people in the church that are called to deep prayer, that are called to contemplative prayer, to sort of mysticism. And then there's the rest of us. And we're just sort of called to uh, run through our rosaries and attend church, but, but not really go deep in prayer, not experience this kind of contemplation, this mysticism. And this is not the church's approach to mystical theology. Paragraph 2013 of the Catechism states, All Christians in any state or walk of life are called to the fullness of Christian life and to the perfection of charity. And they're, they're quoting Vatican II there. It says, all are called to holiness, and it quotes the book of Matthew, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? So all are called to this kind of Christian perfection, that is the maturity of the mystical life, and also to then to the prayer that goes along with it. There's not two classes of Christian. We're all called to be mystics. We're all called to grow deeper in relationship with God. But it begs the question, how do we grow? How do we enter into this? And, and part of the answer is in that three-legged stool I keep talking about, the three legs of, of uh, this mystical prayer, asceticism, and the sacraments. Uh, but there are some principles that we should linger on as we get started here. The first principle is that our growth is Christ-centered. It's grace-dependent. It comes from God and it leads to God. It's empowered by God. God initiates good acts in us by inspiring us with his grace. And God also comes alongside our will with his grace to empower us to do the good. Right? There's a heresy uh, called Pelagianism, and it's basically the idea that we're saved by our works or that we're capable of doing uh, in, in, in reaching God on our own power. And then semi-Pelagianism would say that we're, uh, although our, our good acts are enabled by grace, we sort of initiate the good action. It takes us a doing and starting the good, and then God comes and responds with his grace. Right? Both of those are heresies uh, denied by the Catholic Church. So we believe that God both initiates the good in us by an act of grace and then comes alongside our will and empowers us to do the good as we're doing the good. It's, it's both. So there's a primacy of God's action in our spiritual growth. Uh, another great spiritual writer that I've been inspired by is Jacques Philippe. In his uh, wonderful little book, Time for God, he says, Prayer has less to do with doing something then with delivering ourselves up to God's action, right? Delivering ourselves up to God's action is the heart of prayer. I'm raising my heart and mind to the Lord, but what I'm doing is I'm giving him permission to do what he wants in me and in the world. I'm becoming a channel of that. So our first principle is that our growth is Christ-centered and grace-dependent. Uh, the second principle that's essential is the interdependence of prayer and holiness. There's a mutual inter interdependence of prayer and holiness. I mean, there's no growth in prayer without growth in holiness, and there's no growth in holiness or virtue without a growth in prayer. As Father Dubay says in The Fire Within, lifestyle and prayer grow or diminish together. Or it's in our catechism, 
Paragraph 2725 says, If we do not want to act habitually according to the Spirit of Christ, neither can we pray habitually in his name. If we don't pray habitually, if we don't act habitually in love according to God's commandment, then we also won't pray habitually. And then later, paragraph 2745 says, Prayer and the Christian life are inseparable. Right? The way you live your life and the way you pray are inseparable. For they concern the same love and the same renunciation proceeding from love, the same filial and loving conformity with the Father's plan of love, the same transforming union in the Holy Spirit that conforms us more and more to Christ Jesus, the same love for all men, the love with which Jesus has loved us. So prayer and the Christian life are inseparable. So there's no growth in prayer without growth in holiness, without growth in virtue. Um, for this, I think of it sometimes as an, an image of compatibility, <laughs> right? Holiness, attaining the theological virtues by God's grace, make us like God, and we're capable of communion with something to the extent that we're compatible with it or that we're like it. Uh, there's there's a, a natural metaphor for this, and that's between a horse and a donkey and a mule, <laughs> right? Two, two uh, horses can create another horse by offspring, and two donkeys create another another donkey by offspring. Uh, if things are too genetically different, like maybe a, a horse and a lion, they're not capable of creating offspring. They're not capable of that level of, of communion, of creation of life. But on the other hand, when a horse and a donkey come together, they're like enough to create an offspring, which would be a mule. But mules uh, have an essential imperfection in them. They, they actually cannot have their own children. You can't have two mules come together and make a third mule. Only a donkey and a horse can make a mule. <laughs> so all that's to say is the more like the two things come together, the more capable of communion they are with one another, and the more the spiritual life comes forth. The same is true in our relationship with God. The more God-like we are, or the more divinized we are, the more we're capable of receiving the grace of prayer that the Lord wants to give us, and, and therefore the deeper we go in prayer. There, there's a there's a, a heresy that we need to uh, to call out in this, and that's really a heresy that the heart of prayer is technique. Well, it might be helpful to learn uh, prayer techniques, especially as taught by saints and doctors of the church, and come to us through the tradition of the church. Technique is not the heart of growth in prayer. We're, we're capable of intimacy with God to the extent that we're compatible with God, to the extent that we're like God. So growing deeper in prayer isn't a matter of learning technique. This is kind of the heart of Eastern mysticism, or, or especially from Buddhism and Hinduism, is learning certain meditation techniques. And by performing the technique, you get deeper into um, what they seek in their meditation. But the heart of Christian prayer is intimacy and love union with God. So there's this deep and intimate communion between our life of grace and our life of prayer. All right, our third principle would be time, particularly fidelity and perseverance. Uh, you know, it's not important to us if we don't make the time for it. So if we don't give the time to the Lord, we'll never grow. I, I've scoured spiritual works from the doctors of the church, from saints, uh, from the church of tradition, and from contemporary writers. I can't find any uh, reliable source that recommends less than 20 minutes of prayer a day. And, and that might seem like a lot for you. That might not seem like much to you. 
But I think there's really kind of a minimum effective dose of prayer. And, and I think it's at least 20 minutes a day or working up to a half hour or even an hour a day of prayer time. Uh, so Jacques Philippe in Time for God says, it is very important to fix a minimum length of time for prayer and not shorten it, except in really exceptional circumstances. So this, especially fidelity, meaning it's better to do it daily than it is to do it like once a week. So it's better to pray 20 minutes a day than it is to pray two hours, one day a week. And then perseverance, it's going to get hard. It's going to be dry. It's going to seem like a waste of time. Maybe even you're going to have distractions. Um, you're going to have uh, family, whatever else. Everything's going to come up to try to get in the way of that, seeking out that prayer time. Now, there may be exceptional circumstances when, um, when you can't get that in, but that's going to be exceptional, right? We need to carve the time out and build up to it. In a later episode, I want to talk about like a couch to 5K program for, for prayer. Have you ever seen those apps, couch to 5K, meaning you don't run at all, and it takes you step by step how to then run a 5K or a marathon or something like that. I think we need uh, like, a, like a binge to holy hour program where, where I think ant the antithesis of prayer, anti-prayer is what we do when we binge online, whether we're scrolling our news feed or going through the next episode of Netflix or YouTube. That kind of just passive letting it happen is the exact opposite mental and spiritual exercises, what we're doing when we're trying to pray. So we need to go from, our, our, from being uh, primed to binge to being primed for a holy hour. And there's steps to that. And it might start with something like just praying five minutes a day and persevering and being faithful to that five minutes, but with the mindset of growing. Like you might start by just walking a one mile every other day and then move up to jogging that mile, then moving up to jogging a mile and a half, or walking a mile and jogging a mile. So the way you would progress in that run is the same way we need to progress in prayer, up to that minimum effective dose of at least 20 minutes a day, according to your vocation in life, or, or more than that. Don't be afraid of being generous with the Lord. And then the, the fourth uh, principle of growth is silence. Silence. We need quiet. There's so much noise in our world. You're listening to some right now, whether you're on the podcast or online. If you haven't prayed yet today, turn this off and go pray. That's a lot more important than hearing what I have to say. But there's something more to silence than just the absence of noise. I have had a couple opportunities to visit um, contemplative religious communities. So either religious sisters that are cloistered or monks that live uh, a life of stability. And there's something about those monasteries. Uh, there's a silence there that's deeper than the lack of noise. There's, it, it's a silence that's also an internal peace, and it's infectious. It, it sort of rolls out from the, the communities uh, being a channel of grace in the Lord mystically. So we need to not just foster a surface-level silence, although that's the sine qua non of finding the deeper silence. So turn off your phone, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, um, go to a place where there's not going to be noise, maybe out in the middle of nowhere, in a church nearby that's unlocked, uh, maybe in your basement or in the restroom, wherever you can find it, get rid of the noise. And then in that, you have to start doing the hard work of finding inner peace. Right? And this earlier uh, principle we talked about of the interdependence of, of moral perfection and growing in deeper prayer is really going to serve this finding this deeper peace. But we have to find this deeper silence that's more than a lack of noise. 
Uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2717, says, In this silence, the spirit of adoption enables us to share in the prayer of Jesus. In the silence that we share in the prayer of Jesus, it's not just our prayer, it's a participation in God's prayer. We become a part of something bigger. So this cultivation of silence. So four core principles to growth. Christ-centered, dependent on grace. The, the relationship between moral perfection and deepening prayer. Uh, the need for uh, time, fidelity and perseverance to prayer and time. And silence, the cultivation of quiet, both on the surface and going deeper to peace of heart. Um, so I think we need to also ask the question, why aren't the sacraments enough? Right, our last uh, episode was all about an introduction to sacramental theology and how to receive the grace of the sacraments. But why aren't the sacraments enough? Right, the sacraments in themselves are sufficient for a complete sanctification, meaning what's there on offer in the sacraments is enough because God in grace gives himself to us. It's not some uh, like spiritual currency that God created to interchange with us. No, grace is personal. It's intimate. God gives himself to us. But we are insufficiently capable of receiving what's offered to us in the sacraments. Right? In the last episode, we talked about bridging that gap between the res et tantum and the res or the res et sacramentum and the res tantum, right? Going from the work that happens in the sacrament when it's valid versus the subjective experience of actual and habitual grace from that sacrament. So these next two legs of the stool, prayer and asceticism, this episode and the next episode, um, it inspires us and, and carry, when these things are inspired and carried out in cooperation with God's grace, they're the key to increasing our ability to receive the grace of the sacraments. So there's this dynamism when we put a regular sacramental life together with prayer and asceticism that really leads us to, to growth. That's the core of the three-legged stool. All right, so now I want to pull up another chart to give you a vision of what this journey looks like or a roadmap of what this journey looks like. Uh, so there's kind of two great models that come from these spiritual doctors of the church. There's an older model, which was called the three ages of the spiritual life, the way of the beginner, the way of the proficient, and the way of the perfect. This comes to us all the way from the ancient church, and many uh, theologians believe is expressed in the scriptures in various ways. And then there's also uh, another vision of this growth process called the mansions of Teresa of Avila. She described the spiritual life as progressing through seven mansions. One thing that I don't want to belabor is uh, sort of lining up the different ages of the spiritual life with the mansions. I think this can be a curiosity, certainly a curiosity that I've fallen into in my life. Um, so I, I don't want to belabor that point because different theologians in the history of the church line up these, these mansions and ages differently. But I think from each perspective, uh, what's happening in the ages of the spiritual life is the ages of the spiritual life describe the pr progression of the spiritual life in relationship to this growth dynamic of moral perfection, right? At what stage am I when I'm experiencing a, a different level of perfection or freedom from sin versus what Teresa of Avila is talking about in the seven mansions is primarily the perspective of uh, where I'm at in relationship to the form of prayer that I'm practicing, right? This, this growth or transition from one mansion to another is primarily a growth of 
of what kind of prayer am I experiencing. Uh, so from this perspective, I believe that these two models are complementary um, and, and are not mutually exclusive of one another. But on the other hand, it's not super important to try to, to line them up. Um, so looking at this chart, the first age or, or the age of the beginner, sometimes called the purgative way, right, what, what's being experienced in prayer is first vocal prayer, meaning prayer with words. And at the heart of all prayer is what's commonly called mental prayer, meaning I actually mean what I'm saying, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to connect with God in the prayer. I'm raising my heart and mind to God. So to just say words of somebody else's prayer that's written, but not to really mean them, isn't prayer at all. Uh, also in this early stage is the practice of meditation. From the Christian perspective, meditation is called discursive prayer. That word discursive just simply means in your thoughts, so in your imagination, your memory, your reason, your will, to go from one thought to the next. Meaning I'm going from principle to principle to discover God, either in revelation, something like the scripture, in, in the tra- teachings of the, the faith, or from my own life, or from how we can find God in nature. I'm meditating and finding God in the world in order to have conversation, to, deep, to connect more deeply. And then also a prayer of the affections. So the affections are our feelings, our attractions and repulsions. These are these passions that we talked about in previous episodes when we talk about the, our passions and our attractions. So the, a prayer of the affections is ultimately the goal of vocal prayer and meditation, is that I really mean what I'm saying, and I, and I experience in my body God's presence. So I'm coming to be conformed to the fact that God is real, right? I'm growing in faith by God's grace. I'm growing in infused virtue. So there can be a point actually where some people are able to pray with their affections without previous vocal prayer or meditation, right? So this is is kind of a transitional phase. This grows into this, or or, uh, the moral goals of this beginning phase, the purgative way, is one, growing out of grave sin, right? Sins that can be mortal when they're done with freedom and knowledge. Growing out of habitual sin. A habitual sin is simply something you do regularly. If, if you go to confession, and every time you go to confession, you confess the same thing, that's a habitual sin. It's a habit. And also intentional venial sins. And you need to begin to be healed from your attachments. An attachment is a, is a, a connection or unhealthy relationship with something of the world separate from God. So this, uh, and two great analogies for these spiritual ways is one is a marital analogy and the other is a growth analogy. This first phase, if it was like a, a relationship, would be spiritual courtship. Or in a growth analogy, it's like going from infancy to your childhood or being like a toddler. So these first three mansions um, or this purgative way is this growth from spiritual courtship or infancy into adulthood. All right, so this second age of the spiritual life, the way of the proficient or sometimes called the illuminative way, is typified by moving to infused contemplation in prayer. Prayer that's infused, you might think of it as poured. So it's something that God gives and initiates. It isn't something that comes from my senses. It isn't something that comes from my knowledge or effort. It's something that God gives. And and so it's not something that we can force by technique. It's something we predispose ourselves to by the conditions of growth we've talked about, but it's ultimately pure gift. 
Uh, these infused contemplations begin with phenomenon that are sometimes called the prayer of quiet or the prayer of recollection. Right? The prayer of quiet is sort of the ability to, to sit in this deeper kind of silence, this deeper kind of um, peace, even though um, your imagination might still be uh, kind of all over the place, you might still experience some distractions, but you're able to recollect, meaning your will is captured by God and grace, even if your reason and imagination aren't yet. And then that grows to the point where all of your faculties are captured by God in the contemplation, right? Where, where your imagination, your memory, your will, uh, your intellect are all fully engaged in the contemplation to then the more extreme forms of contemplation in which the prayer overflows from the soul to the body, meaning that the saints that experience this, it's not just that their, their sort of attention is fixed on the Lord, but also their body is taken up in the Lord, whether it be by, by experience of rapture or by levitation, these more extreme, or, or uh, they're not necessarily normal in the progression, or just be a complete um, being taken up in the Lord's presence. So during this second age of the spiritual life, uh, the person may experience occasional venial sin still, meaning that it's not habitual and it's certainly not grave. So you're growing out of this occasional venial sin. Also, uh, there could be unintentional venial sins, meaning it's maybe something you haven't really, you're just coming to discover or something that, that maybe just like slips out every once in a while. Um, so you, you need to also grow out of this idea of all sin and then all habitual attachments are being purified, uh, meaning unhealthy attachments to things of the world attraction to things of the world. Uh, in this marital analogy, this is like a betrothal phase or, or being, um, being uh, uh, um, like you get your, your first ring from God and, and you're going to be uh, promised his hand in marriage. So it, it's like being, um, uh, the words left me now, spiritual betrothal. And from the growth analogy, it's moving from childhood into adolescence and even young adulthood. Uh, so you're, you're growing closer and closer to God. All this leads into the third age of the spiritual life or the way of the perfect, sometimes called the unitive way. Uh, this would be, you know, depending on who you look at, the sixth or seventh mansion in Teresa's, um, Teresa's analogy of, or idea of the mansions. So this is really stable, infused prayer. And what I mean by stable is it can be continual, um, meaning the, the commandment to pray always is, is realized in this person and that they simultaneously can experience contemplation and go about their day-to-day -day tasks. In this state, the person may rarely or occasionally have sin and also rarely occasionally have attachment, um, but they're free from uh, regular venial sin of any form. And this is sometimes called spiritual marriage or full spiritual adulthood. Right? This, this third phase of the spiritual life, the way of the perfect, the unitive phase, this is plan A for the Christian. I've, I've been blessed. Uh, I'm, I'm going through classes right now uh, for a certificate in spiritual direction with Dan Burke, um, who's one of the, the great contemporary spiritual writers in the church and really, uh, really has uh, some beautiful both writing and in his speaking uh, through his radio show and, and everything else. Um, he talks about uh, that purgatory is plan B. Purgatory is plan B. Meaning this progress in the spiritual life where our sins and our attachments are purified in this life, that's plan A. That's what God intends for all of us. That's, that's the primary goal and purpose of the Christian life is to, to have this growth so that we can become this channel of grace 
in communion with God and, and radically affecting the world around us. That's plan A, right? If, if we don't work through that in this life, then purgatory is there. So when we die, right, our sins, uh, although they're forgiven by God, we still have attachments to the things of the world. And purgatory is the process of, uh, of, of having those attachments and in, in the habits that have uh, directed us to things not of the Lord purified so that we can fully experience heaven. In fact, uh, one of my favorite spiritual authors, uh, Reginald Gergou Lagrange, um, he talked about the spiritual life as the preamble to the eternal life. Meaning what we begin to experience on earth through mysticism, through this growth into deeper and deeper into the mystery of God, is a foretaste of heaven. We begin to experience now what we're called to experience then. And the purifications, the purgations that we go through, uh, the, the first age of the spiritual life, uh, typified as the active night of sense or the later um, nights of the spirit that are, are described especially by John of the Cross, this is like a foretaste of purgatory, uh, ultimately leading to this deeper and deeper purification. Uh, so in this series, we're going to go through seven episodes going through the church's mystical theology, taking a deep dive into how the church understands prayer and growth in the spiritual life. So in the next episodes, we're going to talk about the three exp expressions of prayer. Uh, we're going to take a deeper look at the three ways, the three ages of the spiritual life and the seven mansions. We're going to talk about Christian meditation, the examination of conscience or examine prayer. We're going to look at different Eastern practices and if they're compatible or helpful for a Christian to use, things like uh, mindfulness, yoga, uh, transcendental meditation, metta, uh, and we're also going to look at the discernment of spirits and the phenomenon of dark nights. So I hope you'll continue with me in the second season of Physically Spiritual as we take a deep dive into the three legs of the stool for spiritual progress and growth and holiness. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.